any amount of days of prayer that we can get you. That would be awesome. Um, I, I wanted to start off describing uh, a quality that I, I, I have some words for, but none of the words quite fit. Uh, and so maybe I'll just describe it, and you can think of a word that fits for you, and, uh, and then hold that quality, that characteristic in your mind. And so what I'm thinking of, the be- not the best way I could describe it, but a way to describe it, is when you see a, a kid at, uh, you know, Little League or basketball and they've got the helmet on and they're just a little tiny guy and the helmet's too big and it's all kind of askew and they go up there to the home plate and they're holding the bat and they're holding it upside down or backward or whatever, you know, just not quite right and the coach is trying to help them or whatever it is and the uniform is just way too big. You know, you can kind of imagine what I'm describing, and they're up there, you know, they're ready, and the, you know, that coach, whoever's pitching, or maybe it's the, it's on the tee, and the, and the kid just like, he just swings for the fences, you know what I mean, and just totally misses, but he's like, he's putting everything he has into it, like nothing about him is necessarily prepared for this moment, except for he has like that heart, Whatever that is, or maybe you know it's a it's a kid playing basketball, and they're just they're trying their hardest, and it takes every ounce of strength that they have to throw that ball toward the hoop, and it's just you know they're two feet away, and it's still an air ball, but they're trying their hardest. You know what I mean? What what is that quality? What would we call that when when someone's just doing the best they can, and there's just no probably no chance that it's going to happen, but they are trying. They have like they've got heart, and all I could think of was words that make me sound like I'm 120 years old, like moxie. That was the one that kind of came to mind, but it's just not a word we use. They got spunk. They got like, you know, whatever it is. There, there's this it kind of thing that they have. And, and I just want you, to, whatever that word is for you that I couldn't come up with, it's a good thing my job doesn't rely on public speaking, right? Whatever that word was, I just want you to have that idea in your mind as we go through what we're talking about today, because I think that's going to be valuable talking about this discussion of prayer. We are in our final week of talking about prayer, and, and we have been looking through the Lord's Prayer in particular, uh, and we've been just trying to kind of understand it a little bit better, because if you've grown up around the churches of Christ, we have kept the Lord's Prayer at a little bit of a distance. We, we, don't, we don't engage with it. it. Jesus literally said, when you pray, pray like this, and then he gave us these words, and we've just kind of been, uh, we, we've avoided it a little bit for a variety of reasons, um, and so we just haven't talked about it a lot. We haven't, we haven't discussed it a lot. And I think that there, we're, we're missing um, a world of, of, of insight and value when we kind of avoid this prayer. All right, so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, and we're just going to start in verse 1. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It's on the screen here if you need it. 
Just keep right in the back of your mind that idea, that, that, that little kid swinging for the fix, fences but, but missing the ball entirely. One day when Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray. Now, that's where this sermon title comes from, when you pray, or this series title comes from, when you pray. And so as a practice, as a church, every time I've, I've preached in this series, I've had us say the Lord's Prayer together, which is just something that we have not done very often as a church family. So we've been praying the Lord's Prayer out of the book of Matthew, and I'm going to have us recite the Lord's Prayer out of the book of Luke together. So on this next slide is the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. And I want you to notice to see if there's any differences as we say this together. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Do you notice anything different? Feels like there's maybe a few things missing. Particularly if you're familiar with the prayer in Matthew. You're like, wait... This is like abbreviated. In fact, some of your Bibles, if you look up Luke chapter 11, in some of your Bibles, it won't read like this because people have been so bothered that there were two different versions of the Lord's Prayer in the Bible that they just ignored the one in Luke and they just transported the one from Matthew into Luke. But that's not what was originally written in Luke. These are the words that were originally written in Luke when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. He said these words. Now, there's stuff about his will that, that's different. There's stuff about um, protect us from the, or keep us from the evil one that's different. Um, there's just a few things that just seem a little bit different. But, but by and large, it's very similar, right? It's pretty similar. The sentiment is very similar. So we understand that what Jesus was teaching is not this exact phrase, not saying these exact words, but he's teaching this is the sentiment that we express when we pray to God. But it's not about magic words. It's not as if you quote Matthew or quote Luke in, in its entirety that you're going to get something exactly the way uh, or going to have to say things exactly the way that Jesus said. There's things that are different. But it does bring up some interesting questions about prayer. It brings up some interesting questions about prayer and about the way prayer works. Uh, just a few questions that I wanted to share with you. Um, and they range in seriousness. And these are probably ones that you've thought about in our disciple group. We've been talking about this. And these are questions that have come up in our disciple group. Um, but, but the questions are like this. Um, who does God listen to? That would be the first question. And, and, and it goes like this. If you have person A and they're praying for snow and person B is praying for it to stop snowing, who's God's listen, who God is listening to? Well, obviously the person who's praying for snow, right? That's who God is listening to right now. Or, or what if, if you've got kids on, on one team and they're praying that they win the game and the kids are on the other team praying that they win the game? Who does God listen to? How does God decide who he listens to when people's prayers are kind of in conflict? I think that's a fair question. If God, if, if God, if we pray for something and nothing happens, is that a no or is that just unanswered prayer? If we pray for something, you say wait, but if we pray for something and nothing happens, is that a no or is that just unanswered prayer? Um, if God knows what's best for me and he's going to do what's best for me, why would I ever ask him to do anything else? Why would I pray? If God knows what's best for me already, and we know he's a good God and he's going to do what's best for me, why would I ask him to do anything different? Why don't I just let God do his thing and I'll do my thing and everything should just work out the way God wants it to, right? Um, 
Why would God seem to answer one prayer but not another prayer? Why do you hear stories of people praying for for God to give them a parking spot near the front door of the mall, uh, and God answers that, it seems like, or they believe he does, and God doesn't answer another prayer about some serious disease or sickness or, or health trauma? Why would God answer the parking spot prayer but not the hospital prayer. Why, why, why is that? And these are, these are important questions. Unanswered prayer, I think, is one of the most serious of these questions. When we think about why doesn't God answer certain prayers, let me give you just a quick example. We've been talking about prayer quite a bit at church, and I have a uh, relative, I'm um, trying to avoid getting too specific, that prayed that God would give them Spider-Man's powers. Very earnestly, very sincerely, and said that, God didn't answer that prayer. That w- that's what they noted. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm sorry, buddy. I, I guess God ha- has something else planned instead of giving you Spider-Man's powers. But, but I get it. And, and, even, and, and not, to, not to belittle unanswered prayers, but even, even at, at young, early phases of our life, we begin to have these questions like, what's going on? God, you said ask for anything, and that's what I want, and that's what I think would be good, and I could help people, and I could fight crime. So, why not answer that prayer? Now, it seems silly to us, but at some level, don't we all struggle with things like that? Like, why doesn't God answer certain prayers? Why doesn't God react to some of the things that we're asking him to react to? So, at the far end of this spectrum is this question of unanswered prayer, unanswered prayer, which I heard is also a country music song. And I'm very sorry that I am bringing to mind country music on a Sunday morning because that is one of my prayers is, God, why does country music exist? And he still, he hasn't answered, he hasn't answered that one. I want you to know, though, and I think this is important, I want you to know that with that sense of unanswered prayers, if you've had, now some of you are like, I just refuse to believe that a prayer of mine has never been answered, I just refuse, I just assume that I don't know, I don't see the answer, and that's fine. If you're over there, that's totally fine. I'm not trying to get you to believe something different than that, that's totally fine. But there exists a large number of people who feel like they cannot voice the fact that they feel like God has not reacted or responded to their prayers. We, we can't talk about it because of people who say, well, God always answered prayer. God never leaves us hanging. God will always give us a yes or a no or a maybe or a not yet. God will always do that. And the truth of the matter is, is that's not what the Bible tells us. That is not what the Bible teaches. In fact, you can go through Scripture. If you take the time to read back through Scripture, you will see instance after instance of people asking God for something and God not reacting, certainly not in the moment, but sometimes not at all. And I want to just show you a few passages. And this isn't to discourage your faith or anything like that. This is to say that if you've struggled with the question of unanswered prayer, you are in good, godly, faithful company. Job chapter 30, verse 20. I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. Now, somebody might point out, yeah, but eight chapters later, God did react, and Job didn't get his direct answer, but Job heard from God. That's true, but in this moment, in this moment, Job is struggling with this sense of unanswered prayer. Psalm 22, verse 2, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, and I find no rest. All right, well, he, David, he's a little melodramatic. He wrote all those poems, you know, who knows what's going on there. I don't know exactly. But, but let's, let's just 
dig deep for a second. Let's be real for a second. And I want, you to sh- I want to show you something. And I know you know that mo- most of you know this story. But I just want you to think of how brutal this sense of God's absence was in the moment when David prayed this prayer in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 16. David pleaded with God for the child. And if you know the story, this was a child that, was, that, that was, had come into existence as a result of David's adultery with Bathsheba. And God said, the child's going to die. And David pleaded, pleaded with God for the child. He fasted, and he spent the nights lying on the ground. On the seventh day, the child died. Imagine being David in that moment, thinking like, God, I know I messed up. I I repented. He'd repented prior to this. I repented. God, can you please not spare this child? Can you please spare this child, rather? Can 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 you not take this child's life? And you imagine just the anguish and the emotion of that moment. And I just want to acknowledge that that is real. And I, many Christians go through moments like that where we have a situation, we're praying for it, and it doesn't feel like it's getting answered. And so we, we maybe come to some sort of resolution, but I think often Christians do one of three things, or often people do one of three things. Because if you talk to people who have struggles in their relationship with God, particularly people who have decided they no longer believe in God, if you really dig into their story, it's not about science or reason or logic. It's not about those things. At the heart, if you really dig into that, at the heart of it is some sort of relational breakdown in that relationship that they had with God. They prayed and they felt like God didn't do anything. And so what they did is, this isn't what many people do, they blame God. God, I prayed for that to happen and it was a good thing and it should have happened and you shouldn't take care of it and the world shouldn't be this way and God, this is your fault. And many people walk away from their faith because they cannot come to terms with unanswered prayers. They don't know what to do with that. And if you talk to people, they may think that it has to do with all these other things, but at the core, at the heart of their struggle with God is this issue of they felt like they asked something good of God and God didn't provide. Another thing that people do often, and this is probably something many of us Christians do, is we blame ourselves. We blame me. Well, I must not be asking the right things. I must not be asking in God's will. I must not be deserving. I must have got some sort of hidden sin that I don't know about. I must, there must be something that I'm doing. I must not be saying the right words. There's something I'm doing wrong because, of course, God is a good God and he'll always do the right thing. So it must be me. It must be me in some way. I, I must be doing something wrong and until I can figure out the formula, then God's, I guess, not going to answer my prayers and I'll just have, always have a marginal relationship with God. I won't ever have a deep, sincere, earnest relationship with God because I haven't got my questions answered. I don't know. It's something to do with me. But I think a lot of Christians, what they do is they simply avoid the topic altogether. And it's not that they, they stop praying, but what happens, and this is probably something you may have seen in your own life, where you started out and you asked something specific and big and earnest of God, and you really wanted God to come through in a big way, and you felt like you didn't get an answer. And so the next time you went to God, you hedged your bets a little bit. And, and you say, well, the Bible talks about asking in God's will, so God, well, you know, your will, I don't really know, maybe you, do, maybe you know more than I I do, and you just do your thing, and, then, and, and you didn't really see any result, and the next thing you ask, you just like, go out, well, God, you do your thing, and God, just, you know, keep my family safe, and, and, and you know, I, but you're not even sure if God's really listening to that, and you've gotten to this point in your prayer life where you're not really asking anything of God. You're not really talking to God, and I'm not saying it's wrong to say, God, you do your will. Jesus, of course, said that after he asked something very specific of God. He acknowledged that maybe his will wasn't God's will, but I think many of us are just like, well, I don't know, God, 
do your thing, I'll do my thing, and I guess that's just the way my life's going to be. I'm never going to have this wonderful, robust prayer life that I hear some people have. That's just not going to be me, because if I ask specifically and it doesn't happen, then I have to think through difficult questions about myself, or I have to think through difficult questions about God. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. In fact, for many of us, the question The struggle with what feels like unanswered prayers gets louder in light of stories you've heard of other people's answered prayers. If you turn on Christian radio, you might hear the DJs on Christian radio talking about how, hey, God answered their prayers as they were driving through Starbucks, the car in front of them paid for their thing, and you're like, wow, that... God's really listening to that person. Why isn't he listening to me when I pray about my grandfather or I pray about my children or I pray about my things? Like, why is God listening to that person and God isn't listening to me? What's going on there? And sometimes our questions get louder when we hear stories, miraculous stories of answered prayers. Now, there's so many things that we could talk about that we, we don't have time to get into. One of the things we could probably talk about is the fact that God has answered your prayers many times and you just forgot, honestly. You just simply forgot. And it would be a great idea every time you feel like you've gotten an answer for God to write that down because you would have a very long record of answered prayers. And we just sometimes forget because we're in the pain of that moment and the pain of that struggle. And we feel like God isn't listening to us. And there's just so many things we could talk about. But, but that's not what Jesus does. When Jesus anticipates this question of unanswered prayer, that's not what he doesn't. He doesn't say, well, pff, look at all the times I did good things for you. You forgot about all those. It's not what he does. He tells two stories, and I think this is so fascinating, but Jesus relates two made-up stories, as far as we know, parables, just totally made up a couple stories to illustrate what is going on when we're not feeling like we're getting an answer from God. And I think this is so good. So what we're doing, what we're talking about here is when we avoid prayer, what many Christians have done is we continue the act of prayer, but we've kind of tapped out, we've kind of avoided or, or not neglected, but we kind of stopped believing in the power of prayer. And I think that's where a lot of Christians are. We continue the act of it because you know you're supposed to do that as a Christian, but we've really stopped believing in the power of prayer. And believe me, that drastically impacts the way that you pray when you continue to pray but don't really believe that anything's going to happen, anything's really going to change. And you know you should and you don't understand and you're just like, "Ah, I don't know, God. So we told two stories, and we can see that Jesus is anticipating this dilemma, this exact question that we're dealing with this morning, the the question of, like, why doesn't God feel like he's answering my prayers? This is is what Jesus is anticipating when he tells these two stories. So we're going to read both these stories. They're very short, just a few verses, uh, and then we're going to look at the similarities between the two stories and see what Jesus is getting at in anticipation to our unanswered prayers. So we're going to start the next, very next verse after the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11, verse 4. Verse 5 says this. Then Jesus said to them, this is right after he's just recited what the Lord's Prayer looks like. Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend. All right, yeah. All right, imagine you have a friend. Seems like a little bit of a knock on the disciples. Imagine you have a friend, guys. Okay. And you go to him at midnight. Midnight. It's very important. Midnight. What's happened at midnight? Everybody's done for the day, right? They didn't have electricity. They weren't up, you know, playing video games. They weren't up watching Netflix. They were done, and they were asleep. And you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. Now, that word bother is very important. I want you to hold on to it. Keep it in your mind. The door is already locked. 
and my children and I are in bed, and I can't give up, get up and get you anything. Just real quick, just real quick. Most of the, the, the living situations back in the first century were, you know, like one house, mom, dad, kids, everybody slept in the same room. And so if dad's going to get up and deal with this request, he's, he's going to be stepping over kids, and he's going to be bothering everybody. It's going to disrupt everybody. And so dad's saying, stop, don't bother me. Everybody's asleep. The door's locked. We're done for the night. Don't bother me, right? This is a very strange story when you think about prayer. He goes, I can't get up and give you anything. I can't give you anything. Verse 8, listen to this. This is so cool. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. That's a very strange story in relation to prayer. How many of you are like, well, that's a weird, that's a puzzler. Jesus, I'm scratching my head here. What? Because of your shameless audacity, this guy that doesn't want to give you anything will give you something because you just won't stop banging on the door. All right. And, and just, just so you understand, hospitality in the first century was very different than hospitality today. It was less awkward to go to your neighbor's house at midnight than it was not to have bread to give to your friend who had just come on a journey. Just so we're aware of the context that he's speaking into. All right, that's story number one. Story number two, very similar, but the characters change. But listen to the similarities. Story number two, Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He's anticipating our desire to avoid prayer because we feel like it's not working. To always pray and not give up. Why would you give up on prayer if God was just blessing you with the miraculous left and right? You wouldn't. You would give up on prayer if you felt like nothing was happening. And so Jesus told them this story that they should always pray and not give up. Okay, very interesting. Verse 2. He said, in a certain town there was a judge... A judge is a little bit different than we have today. It's no robes, nothing like that. But a judge was the person who was in charge of making sure that justice took place. It's just like the Old Testament judges. It, they weren't like judges with robes. It's justice happened. If they saw injustice, they were, they were authorized to do something to bring about justice. There was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about what people thought. Boo. This is a bad guy. In the story, if, we were, if there was music, the story would turn a little bit darker and sinister, more sinister here. Because here's a person with power who is using it for themselves. They don't care about anybody else. Uh, this judge, he's no good. And the crowd is like, yeah, that's a bad judge. We don't like that judge. Verse 3, and there was a widow. Here's the person that most exemplifies powerlessness in their society. Here's a widow. And that's why the Bible often talks about widows and orphans. These were people who were powerless. Uh, in their society, in that town, who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice. Remember, he's in charge of bringing justice to making wrongs right. Grant me justice against my adversary. Remember, this is a parable of prayer. Verse 4, for some time he refused, but he finally said, or excuse me, finally said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, at least he's self-aware, right? Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, there's that word again, I will see that she eventually gets, or that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Now, the widow wasn't going to come beat the judge up. The word is, is a it's an idiom for giving someone a black eye, but it wasn't necessarily a physical black eye. It was a metaphorical black eye. He's going to start looking bad. He's going to start just, she's going to wear him down. She bothered him to the point that he answered. 
She was powerless. She needed something. She bothered him. The guy didn't want to help her, but eventually he gives in. Now, both our stories have some, some similarities, right? Now, how many of you are scratching your heads a little bit like, wait a second, you're saying that we have to annoy God to the point that he starts answering our prayers? Is that what this is about? God, you're, it sounds like the parable is saying, if we have a need, we bring it to God. God doesn't really want to answer our need, but if we bother him enough with it, if we annoy him to death, he'll eventually give in and give us what we want. That's what it sounds like these parables are saying. Now, some of you are like, that can't be right because that doesn't sound like God. And that's a good observation. Very good. God is not an unjust judge. God is not a sleeping neighbor. God is not like that. What's going on here is Jesus is employing a logical reasoning tactic that, that was very common. You're familiar with it as well. But it's this, there, there's even a Hebrew word for it that I won't even try to, to, to say. But the idea is how much more. You compare two things and you tie them together by saying how much more. You compare one thing that everybody relates to or understands or agrees with. And then you say how much more is this other thing about God. So you've seen this in, in a bunch of places. For example, if, uh, if you are remembering back to the Sermon on the Mount when he says, um, he says, God takes care of the birds of the air, how much more will he take care of you? If God cares about this little thing, how much more will he care about this big thing, right? If an unjust judge, if a sleeping neighbor will eventually get up and respond, how much more will a good God respond to someone who's requesting, who's asking for good things. That's all he's talking about. So it's a how much more. So he's not saying that God is an unjust judge. He's not saying that God is a sleeping neighbor. He's saying God is better than those. Remember earlier, in fact, it's going to be later in the book of Luke, but earlier in the book of Matthew chapter 7, he talked about you, think about you parents. You parents are evil. That's what he says. It's not my words, it's his words. You parents are evil. And even though you're evil parents, if your son comes asking for bread, how many of you are going to give him a stone? No, that's ridiculous. Even bad parents are going to give their kids bread. How much more would a perfect heavenly father give good gifts to those that ask him? That's what he's talking about here. How much more? So the basic idea is that God is not like a reluctant neighbor. God is not like an unjust judge, right? Makes sense. Okay. These two stories are classic underdog stories. Very short, brief, punchy, classic underdog stories. It's like uh, Hoosiers, you know, the small town kids with heart eventually win the state championship. They overcome all odds. Uh, it's Star Wars. It's the small ragtag group of rebels with, uh, with heart and the force on their side, and they overcome the evil empire, right? It's just every, basically every movie you've ever watched is this story. It's Rudy, an undersized kid with heart who didn't make the team, but eventually he makes the team and he tackles the other quarterback at the end and the teammates carry him off on the field, right? It's the underdog story. The neighbor is the underdog. The widow is the underdog. It's the underdog. It's the classic underdog story. And what Jesus wants us to do, and this is important, Jesus wants us to identify with the underdog, but also, and here's where it's important to understand the quality that is exemplified in that underdog. The thing that both of those parties do, the neighbor 
and the widow. The, the thing that they both do is they pray and they don't give up. Whatever, they, whatever that is in them, that specific quality, it's that little kid swinging for the fences at the tee ball uh, or the little kid trying to shoot the ball, you know, at the 10-foot goal and he just doesn't have, it's whatever that is, whatever that heart, whatever that moxie, whatever that spunk is, whatever that is, that's the quality Jesus is saying. When you feel like God isn't listening to your prayers, here's what you do. You pray more and you dig deeper and you find that part of you that just e- leans even more into prayer. When you are praying and it just doesn't feel like you're getting an answer, here's what you do. Pray and not give up. Here's what you do. You be like that widow that just against all odds kept digging at this unjust judge. Because God isn't like that and God will hear you and God will answer you. You just keep at it. You keep at it. You keep at it. You keep at it. Minnesota nice is uh, many, many, many things, right? There's a classic Minnesota-looking guy, right? The hat, the beard, the smile. I, I don't know exactly what or didn't know what Minnesota nice was because I've heard, I've heard good and bad about Minnesota nice. I've heard people say, Minnesota nice is the greatest. Everybody's polite and it's just wonderful. And I've also heard... Minnesota nice described disparagingly as like, well, passive-aggressive, right? It's just, you know, some of the same things they say. Go, go to the, the, the next slide. This is like protest Minnesota nice, if you would. <laughs> so actually, studies have been done. Go back one slide for me, Thomas. Studies have been done. This is, this is the qualities of Minnesota nice, all right? Polite friendliness. All right, yeah, that seems right. Hold the door open for people, that sort of thing. Yeah, maybe help shovel your neighbor's driveway. Aversion to conflict, eh, that feels right, seems true. Tendency toward understatement, you know, how are you doing today? Well, can't complain, you know, seems right. Uh, a disinclination to stand out, yeah, just, you know, keep it toned down, nothing to get too worked up about here. Emotional restraint, yeah. Self-deprecation, it's a good one. And then, it does fit, passive aggressiveness. This is, this is Minnesota nice, right? Does that seem, does that seem fair? Those of you that are from Minnesota, does that seem fair? Those of you that are from not, actually, this is probably a better question for the people not from Minnesota. Does that seem generally fair? We would describe Minnesota nice as sort of, it's, it's a mixture of good and bad, it's sort of a distant politeness, right? Something along those lines. I say I have some, uh, uh, some members of the audience that are like, I'm not sure about this. But whatever it is, it's, sort of, it's just sort of a passive, distant, you know, don't get too terribly involved. Don't get in wrapped up in other people's business. I mean, and this is probably, some of it's just by, by nature. You don't see your neighbors for six months out of the year. So how, how are you supposed to be very neighborly? You know, literally, this, m- me and my uh, next door neighbor, we, we have a pretty good relationship. Our friends play together and all that sort of thing. Uh, but we were both out, I think it was Wednesday when we had that last big snow. And I'm out there shoveling and he's out there shoveling in his hat. It looks just like this, right? And, you know, in his hat. And, uh, and he just looks over at me. And he nods, and I look over at him, and I nod, and we go back to shoveling. That's like, that's, that's, that's probably, you know, the deepest interaction we're going to have for a little while, you know, until we dig ourselves out of the snow. Minnesota nice. It's, it's like kind of a distant, don't get in your face, don't get too whatever, right? I, I, I think that's fair. Jesus does not encourage Minnesota nice in our prayers. Jesus does not encourage Minnesota nice 
in our prayers. If you were here last week, you heard Bruce talk about the fact that you can bring everything to God. In fact, the majority of the prayers that we have recorded in the Psalms, those prayers of uh, of poetry, uh, or not the majority, but many of those prayers are laments, saying, God, what is going on? I don't understand. Why are you not listening to me? Why are you not responding to me? My prayers, and let me confession time, my prayers have so often been so wimpy. God just must be like, why are you even bothering praying? That's just such a wimpy prayer. Because my prayers will be some sort of like mealy mouth, God, you know, if you have some time and it's so you don't have anything else going on and it's not too much of a bother, maybe you could look at this thing, but no big deal. If it doesn't work out that thing, that's fine. That's not what God wants. God wants shameless audacity in our prayers. Now, we're not bothering God. Understand that. But that word was used twice in those stories. God wants to be bothered in your prayers. And you're like, that that doesn't sound right. God doesn't want me to bother him with all my stuff. I'll just deal with all my stuff. And then, you know, if there's something that I really can't deal with, I'll bring that to God. No, that's not the way it works. God wants to be bothered with your stuff. You know how I know this? Because God is a good father. And I know my children, I know what they've, well, I, don't, I shouldn't say I know what they've got going on in their, their lives, but if my children were in a situation where they got themselves stuck, they got themselves in a situation they didn't want to be in, or they're in a friend's house and it was midnight or 2 a.m., or they got themselves stuck on the side of the road, I don't want them to be like, well, I, you know, I didn't want to bother you. I want to be bothered with my children's stuff. Why? Because I love my children. God wants to be bothered with your stuff. It must grieve him that we're like, God, I'll just take care of all this on my own, and if there's something that I can't handle, well, then I'll bring it to you. No, that's not what God wants. God wants that shameless audacity. That word shameless audacity is actually just one word in the Greek. It means without shame. God wants you to pray without shame. You just bring it all to him. Bring it all to him. And I wonder if sometimes we struggle with this sense of unanswered prayers because we're not really praying for much at all. We haven't really brought him anything. We haven't brought him our hurts. We haven't brought him our pain. We haven't brought him our frustrations. We brought him very polite, distant prayers. We brought him Minnesota nice prayers where every once in a while we nod at God and then we go on doing our own thing. And that is not the relationship that God wants with his children. That's not the relationship you want with your children. And our prayers need to be a reflection of us leaning into that sort of depth in our relationship. I mean, wow, I have been such a wimpy prayer. And I offer such wimpy prayers. Just because I, I don't know. I don't know, maybe, maybe I question the character of God. I don't, maybe there's something more to mind there. But Jesus, anticipating the question of unanswered prayer, says, don't give up, be like this neighbor, be like that widow. Keep bothering God with what you got in your life. Keep bothering God. Jesus encourages us to impose on him. And so this is my challenge. This is my calling to us as a church. And this is why, even, this, honestly, can I, can I just be super real for a second? We've got a small group, right? You know, we, I don't have to be as polite. This is why I think people haven't been engaging with the prayer wall as much, because you don't want to put your stuff out there. I'll just, I'll just take care of my own prayers. It's not the way it's supposed to work. 
I'll just do my own little thing over here. I, just, I won't ask anybody else. I won't put anybody else out and ask them to pray for my thing. I'll just work on it, and maybe I'll offer up a little prayer here and there to God. No, it's not what God wants. God wants you and I to be praying for one another. In fact, God even wants us to confess our sins to one another so that we may be healed. Oh, imagine that. Imagine your disciple groups spent an evening confessing sins with one another. If you knew that was on the calendar, many of you would just be like, I'm not going to that one. Or some of you would be like, I am going to that one with a paper and a pen, and I'm writing it all down. This is some juicy stuff. We don't bring our shameless audacity to God in prayer. We don't bring our junk to God in prayer. We, don't, we just, we just want to be polite and got, keep our distance and go about our day, shove alone, driveway, nod at the neighbor every once in a while, and that's our thing. And that's not what God is looking for in our prayer lives. That's not what he wants. So when Jesus, anticipating the question of unanswered prayers, he says, hey, bother God. Bother God with those things. Bother God with the fact that you're bothered by that unanswered prayer. Dig into it. Let God know what's going on because God is a good father. We talked about this week one. God is a good father who is eager to bring about your good. Bring him everything. He wants to be bothered with everything you got going on. He doesn't want that distance that you've created in in your relationship with him. So I say, I encourage us, let's be shameless. Let's be shamelessly audacious. It's the new international version. Some of your versions say persistent. Terrible translation of that word. The word is literally shameless. Let's be shameless in our prayers to God. We're going to close with a word of prayer, and then we're going to dismiss for the morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we're grateful. Uh, we're grateful to be here. Um, God, we're grateful for the fact that we have your ear. Uh, it's amazing to me that that you would listen to us and lord i can't imagine what it's like to listen to us complain and whine but lord we know that that you want it all you want all of our hearts you want everything in our lives so help us not to hold anything back the good and the bad and the ugly god i pray that we would be like that widow we would be like that neighbor and we would just keep knocking we we would keep bothering you lord we know that you're a good god we believe that you're a good god but we just, we've held back so much. And so I pray that as we try to engage with you and with one another in prayer, that we would stop holding back, but we would bring you everything, Lord. We would bring you glory, and we would bring you pain. We'd bring you what's good in our lives, and we'd bring you what's bad. So Lord, I pray that today, that that, this would mark a turning point in the way that we engage with you in prayer. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.